All right, it's good to be with you guys this morning. I want to take just a second and say hi to all of our campuses that are meeting all over the city right now. We've got our South Campus, our West Campus, St. John's Campus, North Campus, and then here in downtown. We're so glad you're with us. <clears throat> for those of you that are here in the downtown campus, I don't know if you've noticed, it's a little cold. I apologize for that. Um, I know if it's cold if I'm cold, and I'm cold, so I, I apologize. We're glad you're here. Thanks for fighting the rain this morning and, and coming into this place. We hope that um, it'll just be a time of refreshment in the Lord today. I want to invite you to open up your Bibles, if you brought one, <coughs> to the book of Exodus. We're going verse by verse through the book of Exodus. And my name is Matt, by the way. I'm one of the pastors here at the Stone. <clears throat> we're going to be in Exodus chapter 4, verse 30. And then we're going to go through chapter 5 today, quickly. But I want to start... Today, just a little bit differently than I normally do, <clears throat> usually kind of give some sort of introduction that, that sets up where we're going in the sermon, but I, I want to do something differently. I, I want to just jump in <clears throat> and tell you kind of the point of the whole message today, just the thesis, because I've got to do a little exposition, and so you hear what I'm saying here, because this is the ultimate direction of where we're going, but here's the point of the message today, <clears throat> and that's we're going to see that God wants to build in you, he wants to build in his people a faith in him that is unshakable. God wants to build in us a faith that will endure, that will remain in him regardless of the difficulty or the circumstances that come into our lives. To the point, to the point that he will actually allow difficulty to come into your life in order to test and see if your faith in him is genuine, if it's a lasting faith, or if it's just a temporary faith. And so kind of my prayer for, for you is that you'll be able to leave here today and have answered the question, is my faith in God built on a foundation that cannot be shaken regardless of the circumstances, the difficulty, the pain, or the suffering that comes into my life? All right? And before we jump into that, I want to very quickly recap last week and just very quickly kind of remember where we were because it's important to where we're going today. Harlan was preaching and he talked about how Moses had gone into the desert for 40 years. When God initially called him, he was 40 years old. God you know, could have easily saved all the people then, but he didn't. He sends Moses into the desert for 40 years. Moses is now 80, and then out of the blue, God shows up and appears to Moses in a burning bush and begins to speak to him. <clears throat> what he says is critical. He says, Moses, I want, you to, I want you to go tell the people of Israel something. He goes, I want you to go tell them that I see that they're in slavery. That I, I, God's like, make sure they know that I see their affliction. I understand the hardship that they're going through. I want you to tell them that and tell them this, that I'm going to free them from their slavery. And then what he does is he gives Moses these, and we talked about this last week, he gives Moses these miraculous signs to show the people. Because Moses is like, you know, I don't talk very good. How are they going to know that God, you sent me? And then God gives him these miraculous signs that he can do in front of the people so that the people will know that God is the one that sent, sent him. And that's where we're picking up the story today. We're going to see Moses and his brother Aaron. They're going to go back to the Israelites. They're going to show them the signs. They're going to tell them what God said. And then we're going to see what their response is. And so Exodus chapter 4, verse 30. Watch this. It says, And Aaron, that's Moses' brother, <coughs> spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. 
And he then performed the signs on the side of the people. That's Moses. And so what just happened is Aaron stood up in front of all the Israelites and said, hey, here's what God said. God says that he sees your suffering. He sees that you're in slavery and he wants to set you free. And then just to kind of be the icing on the cake, Moses stands up and he does all the cool God signs. Now I want you to watch how the Israelites respond when they hear what God said to them and they see the miraculous signs. Watch what it says. It says in verse 31, it says, so the people believed. All right, so the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about the sons of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, then they bowed low and they worshiped. Okay, so Moses and Aaron, they show up to the people. They tell them what God had to say. They perform the signs. In church, two things happened. They believed in God. They believed in God. The people of Israel are now believers in God. And the second thing is they worshiped God. Now I want to read the verse one more time and I want you to pay careful attention. Watch closely as to why, because this is important, why the scripture says the people believed and they worshiped. Let's read it one more time. In Exodus 4.30, it says, And Aaron spoke all the words which God had, uh, the Lord had spoken to Moses. He then performed the signs in the sight of the people, so the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about the sons of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, then they bowed low and they worshiped. And so what the scripture just said is that the people saw the miraculous signs with their eyes and they believed in God. And then they heard that God was concerned about them and that he wanted to set them free from slavery. And they're like, sweet, that's a good deal. And they began to worship the Lord. Okay, now here's my question for you. One of a couple of questions today, and I want you to hear this really carefully. Why does God not just end the story of Exodus right there? Why does God not just kind of wrap up the story of Exodus right there? Because God could have easily, right then and there, just kind of ended the story. Because <clears throat> if you remember, and I don't know if you were here, in the very first sermon we did on our series, but do you remember what we talked about is the whole point of the book of Exodus? The whole point of the book of Exodus is this, is that God wants to set his people free from slavery so that they will worship him. That's the whole point of the book, is that God steps in, he wants to free them from slavery so that they would be free to then worship the Lord. Okay, right? And so the Israelites now believe in God. We just read that. That's, that's one check. They're now worshiping God. Check. And so all God has to do, think about it. All God has to do right then is go Sodom and Gomorrah on the people of Egypt, destroy Pharaoh, destroy Egypt, and then the people of Israel could have just walked out of there scot-free, moved into the promised land, and lived he- he- uh, he- he- happily ever after is what I'm trying to say. End of story. Why does God not do that? God could have easily ended the story right here, but that is not what God does. Okay, now hear what I'm about to say. God eventually, and we all know this because we've seen the movie and read the Bible, but God eventually does set his people free and get them into the promised land. But hear this, but the path that he chooses to give his people their freedom is infinitely, I would say, harder on the people of Israel than what I just described. Okay, what God is going to do is he's going to intentionally intentionally cause things to get a whole lot harder on the people of Israel 
before he lets it get better, before they're set free. All right, let me show you what I'm talking about. Watch this. Look at Exodus chapter 5, verse 1, next verse. <clears throat> okay, so again, Moses and Aaron, they've gone to the people, show them the signs, told them that God cares about them, wants to set them free. People are like, great. They believe in him. They're worshiping him. Watch what happens next. <clears throat> verse 1, it says, and afterwards, and after that, Moses and Aaron came and said to the Pharaoh, and so after the people believe and they're worshiping God, uh, Moses and Aaron are all excited. They got some confidence. And now they're going to show up to Pharaoh and watch what they say to Pharaoh. They say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. So Moses and Aaron, they show up, they look at Pharaoh and they say, Pharaoh, God told us to tell you something. This is what the God of Israel says. The God of Israel says, let my people go so that they can worship me. Now, I want you to watch Pharaoh's response in verse 2. In verse 2, it says, But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And besides, I will not let Israel go. So Moses and Aaron, they show up to Pharaoh. They say that God says to free the Israelites. And Pharaoh looks right back at him and says, No. I'm not going to do that. First of all, I have no idea who this God is that you're talking about, much less because of him let all the people of Israel free from slavery. He just flat out looks at him and says, no, get out of here. Now, here's a, kind of, here's a theological question for you. Don't shout it out. But why, really, does Pharaoh say no right here? Pharaoh looks at him and says, I don't know who God is. Why in the world should I do what he says? And no way I'm going to let him go. Why does Pharaoh say no right here? I mean, is it just because he doesn't believe? Is it as simple as that? He doesn't believe and so he doesn't have to do what God says? Is he just mean? Is he on a power trip? Does he realize that it's going to shut down Egypt economically if he says no and frees all the slaves? Why does the Bible actually say that Pharaoh looks at Moses and Aaron and just says no? Well, the Bible actually tells us the reason Pharaoh refuses here to give the people their freedom. Watch this. Don't turn there. Just listen. In Exodus chapter 7, 2, um, it says, and this is God speaking. God says, you shall speak all that I command you to your brother Aaron, and your brother shall speak to Pharaoh that he let the son of Israel go out of this land. In verse 3, God says, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart that I may multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. In Exodus chapter 9, verse 12, it says, And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not listen to them, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. <clears throat> In Exodus 10, 20, it says, But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and did not let the sons of Israel go. And it says that over and over and over again. And you hear that, and you're like, What? What? Wait, wait, just a minute here. The people are right where God supposedly wants them. They, they believe in God. Good news. They are worshiping God. And God has already said to them, I want to set you free. And that all God has to do in that moment is either destroy Egypt or change Pharaoh's heart so that he wants to let them go. And then that's the end of the story and the mission is accomplished. But that is not what God does. The scripture says that in that moment when he could have let him go and set him free, it says that God hardens Pharaoh's heart 
so that he would not set them free. Okay, why would he do that? And if that weren't crazy enough, watch what happens after God intentionally hardens Pharaoh's heart so that he refuses to give him the freedom, it gets really bad. Stuff gets worse. Exodus 5, 6, very next thing. After Pharaoh says, no, I'm not gonna let the people go. Watch what happens, verse six. It says, so on the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters over the people and their foremen, saying, you are no longer to give the people straw to make bricks as previously. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the quota of bricks, which they were making previously, you shall impose on them. You are not to reduce any of it because they are lazy. Therefore, they cry out, let us go sacrifice to our God. In verse 9, it says, let the labor be heavier on the men and let them work at it so that they will pay no attention to false gods. Okay, guys, this is, this is a disturbing kind of verse and story when you look at it. Because right when the people of God believe in him and are worshiping him. Listen to this. God intentionally, intentionally sets in motion a series of events that stops Pharaoh from setting them free and actually makes their lives harder. Now, why in the world would God do that? He could have set them free easily at that point. Why does he do that? Now, remember at the very beginning of the sermon, I told you the whole point of the sermon. You remember what it is? It's that God wants to build in you a faith in him that cannot be shaken regardless of the circumstances that come into your life. God wants to see in you a faith that is going to remain regardless of the difficulty that comes in your life to the point that he will allow. And what we even saw here is that he will cause Difficulty to come into your life to test and see if your faith is temporary or it is a faith that will remain. And that is what God is doing here with the Israelites is that he is allowing when they believe and when they worship in that moment, he's allowing difficulty to come into their lives to see if their faith is a faith that is really built on him or what they can do for him. Okay, because what do you think happened? Church, what do you think happened to the Israelites What do you think happened to their faith in God, their newfound belief and worship in God? What do you think happened when they heard the news of what happened with Moses? What do you think they did when Moses came back and told them the news? What he does is Moses kind of comes back to the people and gathers everybody together. And he says, all right, folks, I got some bad news for you today. Um, I just told Pharaoh that God said to let y'all go. And here's what happened. Pharaoh's now really mad. And he said no. And oh, by the way, he just doubled our workload. What do you think happened to the faith of the Israelites in that moment? Everything was great. God wants to set us free. God, you're awesome. We're going to worship you. Moses steps in and goes, oh, none of that really is coming true right now. And oh, by the way, tomorrow we got to work harder. What do you think happened to the faith of the Israelites? The scripture says that in that moment where Moses said that, the people turned on Moses and they turned their back on God. You see, the Bible is crystal clear here about the faith of the Israelites. Listen, the scripture says that they believed in God because they saw miraculous signs and they were worshiping God because they heard that he was going to set them free. But 
the second they realized that their following God was actually going to cause them more difficulty, they immediately walked away. All right, now here's what I think we can learn from this this morning. Church, one of the greatest tests as to whether your faith in God is genuine. One of the greatest tests as to whether your faith and belief in God is real and genuine is how you respond when God doesn't do things the way you think he ought to do them. Did you catch that? One of the most accurate tests of the genuineness of your faith is will your faith endure? Will your faith remain? Will your faith in God and your worship in God stay when he allows really hard things to come into your life? It's one of the greatest biblical tests of the genuineness of your faith. Jesus himself said that there are gonna be a lot of people. There are gonna be a lot of people that hear the word of God. They're gonna hear it. And they're gonna respond positively to it when they hear it. He says they're gonna receive it with joy. But then they're gonna remain for a little while, he says, but difficulty will come into their lives on account of their faith. And Jesus says immediately they're gonna fall away. Their faith is gonna disappear. Don't turn there, Matthew 13, 20. Jesus says this, it's the parable of the sower. He calls it um, the soil of rocky ground. He says, for as what was sown, that's the word of God, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one, or this is the person, listen, who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Good news, right? This is a person that heard the word of God, they're listening, and they received it, and they didn't just receive it, but they received it with joy But watch what Jesus says in verse 21. It says, yet this person, he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of that word, immediately he falls away. So first, this is what happened with the Israelites. This is a person that hears the word of God. They're like, sweet, that sounds good. They receive it with joy. But inevitably, difficulty comes into their life because they're now followers of Christ. And, they, and, then, and then they immediately fall away. And church, I want you to know <clears throat> that I cannot tell you how many times over the years in this church that I have seen that very thing that Jesus talked about and happened with the Israelites happen here. People that that from all outward appearances, you would look at them and say, that is a follower of Christ. People that went to church, people that served, people that asked them, they would have all the right answers and that you would look at them and say, this person is rock solid, but I would watch as some sort of trial would come into their life, some sort of thing would come into their life where God did not meet their expectations. And I would watch them helplessly as they would walk away from the Lord and there's nothing I could do about it. I mean, I could tell you the story of the young married girl. And by by the way, all of these are stories that have happened here in the Austin Sun Community Church in the last 13 years. Young married girl that started following God in college, came to Christ in college, she gets married. Married for a while, she can't get pregnant. They try, they try, they try, nothing happens. And then slowly we watched this this girl begins to doubt the goodness of God. God didn't meet her expectations of what she thought her life was supposed to look like. And we watched as she walked away and no longer follows the Lord anymore. I'll tell you about the young married guy that followed 
Jesus all through high school. He saved himself sexually for marriage. He gets married to this supposedly Christian girl. They go on their honeymoon and she will not have sex with him on the honeymoon. And then they get home and she will not uh, consummate the marriage even when they get home. And it comes out, she, he finds out that the reason that she won't have sex with him on the honeymoon when they get home is because she was actually, this is blow your mind, but she was actually having an affair the entire time of their engagement all the way up to the marriage. She's been with the guy the entire time. This guy immediately comes to the Lord and goes, God, why in the world would you allow this to happen to me? I've been faithful to you all this time. You allow this to happen to me. He begins to doubt God's goodness and he walks away. And to this, to this very day, I don't, I don't think he walks with the Lord. The 30-something housewife, she's 35, and then all of a sudden it hits her like a ton of bricks as it hits most women. My husband's an idiot, right? <laughs> this is not the guy that, it, that I thought I, I was marrying. This is not the deal that I thought I was getting. And instead of leaning into Jesus right there, she, it kind of hits her that this is not the life I thought I was going to have. God, I deserve more than what it is that I'm getting. She begins to doubt the goodness of God and just absolutely runs away from her husband and the church and the Lord. See about the college girl that from all outward appearances, <clears throat> I can see these people's faces from all outward appearances. You, you would look at this person and say, this is a faithful child of God. They go to church, they serve. She desperately wants to get married. She prays, she prays, she prays for a husband that God would give her a husband. She doesn't get a husband. God delays and she just starts questioning the goodness of God. She meets a non-believing God, doesn't go to church, does not love Jesus. She falls in love with him. The church counsels her not to marry this non-believer because the scripture tells us not to. She gets married to him anyway, quits going to church, walks away from God. And, and guys, I'm telling you, I could just go on and on and on and on and on. Tell you story after story of that. Why did all these people walk away? Why did they walk away? Why did they seemingly have this faith and then all of a sudden one day the faith's not there anymore? Because here's the answer. None of those people were following Jesus because Jesus was their Lord. They were following Jesus. At the end of the day, they may have never admitted it, but they were following Christ for what they thought they were going to get out of the deal. And then when things got really hard, when it started to look like that God wasn't going to meet their expectations or how they thought things should pan out, they walk away. And again, I've seen it over and over and over again. And what Exodus 5 is actually teaching us, and you, actually, and you see it really all throughout the scripture, is church, God will actually allow, intentionally, he will allow difficulty in your life to see, to test, if your faith is genuine, if it's real, if it's lasting, or if it's temporary. And again, that's what happened to the Israelites. Stuff got hard. They walk away. Now, after they walk away, <coughs> Moses is going to come crawling back to God. The Israelites are going to reject him. They're going to reject God. And it blows Moses' mind. And he comes crawling back to God. And I love what he says to God here. It is so raw. It is so real. It's so gut-riching. Listen to what Moses says to God. Exodus 5.22. It says, then Moses, then Moses returned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you brought harm to this people? Why did you ever send me? 
What a great question. Think about it. You're, you're in the desert. And all of a sudden a bush starts burning and the God of the universe starts speaking to you and says, hey, I'm, I'm really concerned about my people. I want to set them free. I want you to go tell them that I want to set them free. You go back to the, to the Israelites. You tell them that everybody's excited. Everybody believes you. Everybody starts worshiping the Lord. You think everything's going great. You show up to Pharaoh. He says no. He doubles the workload. You go back, tell the people they reject you. They reject God. Would you not do what Moses does right here? Come before the Lord and say, God, what in the world are you doing? Why in the world, God, are you doing harm to your people? Why did you ever send me in the first place? In verse 23, he says, ever since I came to Pharaoh, God, to speak in your name, he's done harm to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. Incredible honesty. He goes, God, you're not following through with what you said you were going to follow through. Can you please explain to me, God, why you are causing harm to us? And then God responds to Pharaoh. And I want you to listen to what God says to Pharaoh because God answers the question as to why he would test our faith. Why he would allow difficulty to come into our life to make sure that we are following him for the right reasons. Exodus 6, 2. God spoke further to Moses and said to him, watch the first thing out of God's mouth. He says, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but my name, Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they sojourned. Furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the sons of Israel because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, God says, go back to the sons of Israel. <clears throat> Say, therefore, the sons of Israel, I am the Lord. Go back to the Israelites. This is what you say. I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from the bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you from my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you for possession for I am the Lord. You seeing a theme here? You see, here's the thing. Here's what God just said to Moses. Moses, God says, I did all of this. I caused all of this because I don't want my people to follow me and worship me for all the good stuff I'm gonna do for them. God is saying, I want the Israelites to follow me because I am the Lord. You follow me, you worship me because I am God, no matter what comes into your life. That's why you worship. That's what the story of the Israelites in, in Exodus 5 is teaching us is that God will actually allow these hardships to come into your life to test you, to see if you are following him for all the good stuff you think you're gonna get for him or if you're worshiping him and following him because he is the Lord Almighty. And God wants to know that in your heart. 
You know, and I get that you hear this and it's kind of unsettling because it doesn't really fit in the mold of the Sunday school God that you were taught growing up. And it's unsettling to you because you got, okay, Matt, you're seriously saying that God will actually cause, that's a really tough word, but you go look at the go hardening of heart thing there. It, it, the cause is the, is the right word, that God would cause difficulty in my life to test to see if my faith is real. And that's unsettling to me. But listen, hear this. If you're a believer in here, if you're a genuine child of God, this is not an unsettling truth. This is actually one of the most comforting truths you will ever hear in your entire life. Because what this is promising us and what this is saying to us is that the difficulty that you're experiencing in your life right now is not God punishing you. That the difficulty that you're experiencing in your life right now is not God standing on the sidelines with his hands tied while Satan is beating you up. What this is saying is that the difficulty that you're experiencing in your life right now is not God being unfaithful to you. What this is teaching us is that the difficulty you're experiencing in your life right now is God going to work to win your heart and to ensure that when you breathe your last breath, you will spend eternity with him because your faith was real and that you worship him not for all the cool stuff he'll do for you, but that you are worshiping him because he is God. It's one of the most comforting things you'll ever hear. That the un an unfulfilling marriage that you're in, that, that the financial hardship that you're in, that the deteriorating health that you're experiencing, the unbelieving child, the boring, unfulfilling job, the inability to get pregnant, the prolonged singleness and loneliness. Believer, listen to what the Bible says. Don't turn there, 1 Peter 1, 6. Believer, listen to what the scripture says should be our response when those hardships come into our life. And many just like them. In 1 Peter 1, 6, watch what it says. Well, this is what we do when difficulty comes in our lives. Peter says this. He says, in this, you rejoice. You rejoice. What are we rejoicing in? Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. <laughs> Did you catch that? The Bible's saying you are being grieved. That's a strong word. You're being grieved by a trial. Peter says, rejoice. Why in the world would you rejoice when you're being grieved by a trial? In the next verse, he tells us in verse seven, it says, so that, here's why we rejoice when we're grieved in a trial, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's saying we can rejoice when trials come in our lives because here's what God's doing. He's testing the genuineness of your faith because a genuine faith is more precious than gold. Because a genuine faith means that at the appearing of the Lord, it's gonna result in praise and honor and glory for you. Praise God 
if you're going through a trial because that child of God is God trying to win your heart. And I'll end with this story. It's a powerful story, but it shows exactly what God's doing here. And it's the story of when Jesus was probably at the height of his popularity. He literally had thousands of people following him around. We, we look at that and we think that's successful, right? Jesus is preaching and thousands and thousands of people are following him. But here was the problem. <clears throat> they were following him because he was feeding them. Now, that's 2,000 years ago. This is back before McDonald's. It was hard to get food. And so you got this guy show up and he takes a few loaves of bread and some fish and he feeds all these people. People are like, sweet, I'm going to follow this guy around, free lunch. And on top of that, he was healing people. Now you think about that. We've heard that so many times, it doesn't mean much to us. He was healing people. Okay, now you, you get a bacterial infection, you take some antibiotics, in three days you're fine. Back then you got a bacterial inf uh, infection, you died. And so you've got this guy who's walking around, people are getting sick, and instead of dying, he's healing them. And so all these, literally, these thousands of people are following him everywhere he goes. He'll go fishing, and they'll just hang out on the side of the, of the bank there of the lake. And then he'll go to the other side of the lake to get away from them, and they'll walk around the other side of the lake. And they're like, hey, we're still here. Can you feed us? Can you heal me? And then in the midst of the highest point of his popularity, think about this, what, what, what's going on here. At the height of his popularity... Jesus stops and says, hey, 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 let me just say something to everybody here, all you thousand, six, seven thousand people. Follow me around. Unless you eat my flesh or, and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. And everybody went, excuse me, what did you just say? Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. In other words, what he was saying to them is you cannot follow me for what I am going to give to you. You have to follow me for who I am. Do you know what happened when he said that? John 6, 66. And after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him any longer. You've got to stop following me for what I'm going to do for you, and you've got to follow me because I am God. And the vast majority of the people walking around said, nah, I'm not interested in that. And they walked away. In verse 67, it says, so Jesus said to the 12. So after everybody walks away, Jesus turns around to the 12 who are sitting there going, I can't believe Jesus just did that. He just ran off 7,000 people. They're standing there with a stunned look on, her, on their face. And so Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? You guys want to take off too? And Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you alone have the words of life and we have believed. And have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You're following Jesus today for one of two reasons. You're following Jesus for all the stuff that you think you deserve. Okay, and if that's you, the problem with that is if the blessing dries up or if the blessing doesn't come, you will walk away. Or you're following him no matter what happens in your life. 
because you have come to know that he is the Lord. And so my prayer for me and my prayer for you is that if stuff is really hard in your life right now or in the day when stuff gets really hard and that day's coming for all of us, is that in that moment, you would say, Jesus, where am I gonna go? Because you alone have the words of life and I have come to know that you are the Holy One of God and your faith would remain. Let's pray. Father, if there is anyone in this room that your Holy Spirit is revealing right now that they're following you because of something they think they're going to get from you or deserve from you. I pray that by your power and your faith that you would just produce in them, not of their own doing, but of a supernatural act of the Holy Spirit of the Lord, that you would produce in them a faith that is lasting, that is genuine, that is real, and a faith that will remain. God, I can't do that, but you can. Father, I pray that you would help us repent of our surface, superficial, circumstance-wavering faith in you. And I pray that you would bring us to a place where we worship you today, we love you, we follow you, we surrender to you, we give you our lives because you are the Lord. And I pray that you would do that today for your glory, God. And so it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand again.